let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I, um, I charge $5 for the, for the first five minutes. And, and then absolutely nothing after that. Uh, <laughs> how does that sound? That sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and go. <laughs> go. Well, tell what? me, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm. Uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there. Stop it! <laughs> I'm sorry? Stop it! Stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, you, you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it! I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. So I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. All right. Man, gotta love Bob Newhart. I love that clip. I've seen that so many times. It just cracks me up every single time I watch that. And so I show that to you because today we are going to be talking about a passage where Jesus actually tells his disciples to stop being afraid. Like it's similar to this. He's just stop it. Like don't do it. Just stop it. Don't be afraid anymore. And it was just kind of crazy. It's like, man, that'd be awesome if we could actually do that, right? If that was possible to just stop it when being afraid of anything, then like imagine how much more like less or less stressed out you'd be, how less fearful you'd be, how less, you know, or how more confident you'd be. I mean, life would be great if we could really just do that, right? Just stop it. But you know, that's, it's funny because we know that that's like, that's not really all that there is. You can't just say stop it and it, and it happened. But, but we're going to look at a passage today that looks at Jesus basically, like I said, saying that to his disciples. And we're going to see like why he commands this and how he can command this. And then how we can actually do it. So I'm looking forward to our message this morning. Before I get into it, let me introduce myself. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown Church. It's so glad that you're joining us this morning. We are continuing a series out of the book of John that we've kind of been on again and off again over the last year. But we've picked up back uh, last week in John 5. And today we're looking at a passage in John chapter 6. And just to give you some context before we get dive into it, it's helpful to know that in John chapter 6, Jesus kind of takes a little bit of a, a turn to where in the book of John, he's focusing at least in the first half of the chapter of uh, John 6 uh, on training his disciples, teaching them a couple of really important lessons that they're going to need to learn if they're going to actually go do what he's going to commission them to do at the end of his ministry. So he's training up his disciples, and then, and then a little while Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world. He's going to uh, be buried. He's going to rise again on the third day. And then uh, he's going to spend some time with his followers. And then he's going to commission them to take the gospel, the good news of the gospel, to all nations, to make disciples of all nations and to the end 
ends of the earth, and then he will ascend to the Father. And Jesus knows this, that Jesus' message or his purpose in his life wasn't just to die for the sins of the world. Though that's, you know, that's pretty much, like if that was your one mission in life, I would say that was probably worth enough of a mission of your life. But he was not just doing that. He's died for the sins of the world, rising again, and then he was ensuring that the message of what he's done for us would go out, would continue to be heard, that the whole world would know that he died for their sins, for our sins. And so he's training these disciples so that they would take this message. And in John chapter 6, he teaches them some two incredibly valuable lessons that they would need if they were actually going to be faithful with his commission. And that we as well, as followers of Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and you, you're, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, then this commission is to us as well, to go take the gospel, the good news, to the ends of the earth, to make disciples of all nations. And so we need to learn these lessons too. And so in the first part of John chapter 6, it's, uh, it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, we're not going to look in detail at this passage this morning. We're going to skip over it in our study of John. And the reason being is that last February, this past February, I taught on this passage and so uh, as a part of a different series. And so I'm not going to uh, go through it again. But I want to remind you of what we talked about uh, in February when we were looking at the passage of Jesus feeding the 5,000. One of the things that Jesus was doing through that miracle is that he was trying to help his followers, his disciples, see that he wants to use them to bless and meet the needs of many people, to meet their physical needs. And eventually, as he's going to commission them to go make disciples of all nations, he's going to meet, have them meet the needs, of, the spiritual needs of many, many, many people. This is what Jesus wants to do through them. And yet, he wanted them to be confronted with the fact that they could not do it. So when Jesus says to the disciples, when feeding 5,000, he says, hey, well, find out what food there is. And they find that there's you know, some bread and just a couple loaves of bread, a couple fish. And he's like, okay, you go feed them with that. And they're like, we can't feed these people with this. And Jesus wants them to remind, like, recognize that. What he wants to do through them is huge and awesome and impossible. But that Jesus can do it. And then he can do it through his people. And so that's what he's trying to help his disciples get through this incredible miracle of the feeding of 5,000. That uh, I want to use you to bless month, tons and tons of people, but you can't do it. But I can, Jesus is saying, and I can through you. I want to, and I can through you. And so he teaches the disciples that lesson through the feeding of 5,000. Very valuable lesson in light of Later, he's going to say, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's like, you can't do that. You're not going to do that. But Jesus can do that, and he can through you, and he can through us. And so let's grasp on that. And then the next lesson, the passage we're going to look at today, John chapter 6, verse 16 through 21. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can, or have it up on the screen for us. But this lesson kind of builds off of that. In fact, this lesson takes place right off the hills of the feeding of 5,000. Immediately afterwards, Jesus sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. But Jesus knows that when he does this, there's going to be this storm that's going to keep them from being able to get across the sea. And in this situation, he sets it up to teach them another super valuable and important lesson that they have to grasp if they're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's this. Uh, You don't have to be afraid. You can just stop it. You can just stop it. You, can, you don't have to be afraid. And so let's look at this passage and we'll see like what Jesus commands, why he can command it, and how we can actually respond to it and, and do it. So John chapter 6, verse 16. 
says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. All right. So that reads really succinctly. But like, let's put ourselves in their, in their shoes for a minute and just kind of imagine what was going on. So they, uh, they just had this incredible experience. Jesus just fed 5,000, used them to do it. They were passing out of his feet. It was incredible. And then Jesus is like, okay, I want you guys to go. I'm going to stay back for a little while. So he sends them out. And they, they're good with that. A couple of them were fishermen. They're used to being on the sea. There's no problem getting across the sea. And yet, as they're out on the sea, this wind kicks up. Storm's blowing in. Waves are just like beating the boat, you know, they're soaked, soaking wet, right? And they're not getting anywhere. In fact, in the other gospels that talk, talk about this account, like gospel of Mark for one, it talks about how they've been rowing like all night long. Like this is basically the first like, uh, you know, rowing exercise. They're just stationary rowing right here. I mean, they're just all night, three or four miles. They're not getting uh, in, across the sea. And then they look up and there's this figure that's coming towards them. And they're in the middle of the sea, and there's something coming their way. And they don't know that it's Jesus. They just know that it's something. In fact, uh, the, the Gospel of Mark, when, he's like, when he, he gives a little bit more commentary what these guys were thinking, and he says it this way. He says, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. And they thought... They, they didn't know what was coming their way. They thought it was a ghost. And they, I think technically in the Greek, them crying out means that they, they screamed like little children. I mean, they were just like, they, they were terrified. They don't know what's going on. You'd be scared too. I mean, you're, you're like, you know, worn out by rowing all night. And now there's something walking towards you on the water. It's like, what in the world is going on? And then Jesus says this crazy statement. Don't be afraid. It's not just a statement. It's a command. Do not be afraid. Like, really? Can you say that? Is that possible? Like, is that a fair thing to say? Like, don't be afraid? Like, yeah, well, I would just stop it. Well, I would stop it if I could stop it. But how do I stop it? I mean, I can't control being afraid. Like, how do I just not be afraid? Like, what in the world, Jesus? Like, how can you say that? But here's the crazy thing, friends. This command and this time that Jesus says this is not the only time that he commands his followers to not be afraid. In fact, if you study it in the, in the Gospels, Jesus commands multiple times for his followers to not be afraid. To not be afraid or to do not fear is how he says it oftentimes. In fact, let me just read one of the passages super clear. It's in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says it this way. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, this is a strong statement, isn't it? And Jesus is saying this to his disciples right before he sends them to go take the good news that the kingdom is near to all of uh, these surrounding cities. He's about to commission them out to go, you know, off in pairs of two to take this message out. And before he sends them out, he's letting them know, hey, when I send you out, it's going to be like sending you out as sheep among wolves. And like you're going to be uh, rejected and people are going to hurt you and it's going to cost you a whole lot. And then he says, but do not fear. I'm sure his disciples think, 
What? Like, how do those go hand in hand? You just told me all the things that I should probably be afraid of, and then you told me not to fear? Like, what? Like, so do I, do I fear? And then he says, no, do not fear that, but then fear, don't fear those who can just kill the body. Fear, fear the one who can kill the body, destroy the body and the soul in hell. So they're thinking, okay, so are you saying, I shouldn't be afraid, or I sh- or I should be afraid, but I can only be afraid of this. But there's other, this other stuff, the killing the body thing, Jesus, that sounds terrifying as well. So, like, can I not just be afraid of both? Can I be afraid of all of that? Because that, all of that makes me afraid, right? And so you're, are you saying that there's certain things that do make me afraid that I shouldn't be afraid about? Like, I don't fully get this. It's confusing, right? And yet what is clear is that Jesus is saying when it comes to that stuff, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Hey, you think, a, you think a ghost is walking out to you on the water, as these guys were? Don't be afraid. Do not fear. How in the world can Jesus command this? That's what he commands. But why could he command this? That's what I really want to spend some time thinking about. And guys, here's the answer to the question. Why could Jesus command us to not be afraid? Well, the, the simple answer, though there's many layers to this, is that he's God. That he's the Lord of the storm, if you will. That he is the great, almighty, all-powerful, holy God who created the universe. And if he is with you, or you're with him, you don't have to fear. Even when there's something to be afraid of. The reason he could say this is because of who he is. Now let's think about who he is. In this passage... Jesus is doing something for his disciples to teach them this lesson. And what he does to teach them this lesson is he reveals something really uh, uh, helpful and important to his disciples by what he does here and by what he says here. And what he does and what he says, he's trying to pull the curtain back a little bit for these guys to help them grasp even more fully who he is. And I think the first thing he's trying to show them about who he is is that he is the holy God of the universe. Holy just literally just means set apart. Set apart or, or, or not like something else. That's what it is to be holy. And Jesus is trying to help his followers see that he is not like them. That he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good man. He's not just a guy that has some kind of higher God consciousness. No, that he is God himself that he is the Holy One. He shows that, like I said, through two, two things here, by what he does and what he says. By what he does is this. He walks on water, okay? That's, that's a big deal. He's walking, he's walking on the water. And, and they see him, and they don't know that it's him yet, but they know that there's something walking out to him. And when they see that, they think, okay, whatever's walking out to us, it's not like us. It's supernatural in origin. It's, it's something different than, because people don't walk on water. Now, you know that, right? And they knew that. And they're, so like, there's, whatever's coming to us is not like like us, it is other, is holy, and they're terrified. In fact, if you notice in the passage, the, the, the disciples, they don't actually get afraid until they see something coming to them. The storm, the wind, the waves, all that stuff, they weren't afraid at that point in time. I'm sure they were exhausted. They probably were frustrated. But the storm wasn't what was making them afraid. It's when they looked out and in the midst of all the waves, they see something coming to them, and they're terrified. See, when we come in contact with something that's completely other than us, it scares us, doesn't it? It, it, it makes sense that they would get scared at this point of time. 
It makes me think of um, the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in, in Isaiah chapter 6. He's, uh, he's uh, telling the story of when he comes in contact uh, through this vision brought up into the throne room of God. And he sees God seated on his throne. And he sees these gigantic and angelic beings surrounding the throne, shouting back and forth to each other about the holiness of God. In Isaiah 6, he writes this, um, verse 3. He says, uh, And one called to another, talking about these angelic beings, one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook and the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in in the midst of people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And he sees this vision of of God and the holiness of God. And it ruins them. It terrifies him. He, he hits the ground. He says, woe is me. Or another way to say that is, I'm ruined, scared to death. You keep reading what you see is that in the grace of God, our loving God, he extends grace to Isaiah. And then later he says, he issues this call. Who will, who will go for me? Who can I send to take this message? If you read what message it is, it's a, it's a, Terrible message to have to deliver. It's a message about uh, to the nation of Israel about how uh, like that's going to result in the messenger being rejected and despised and beaten. <laughs> it's like, man, who wants to deliver that message? And yet Isaiah quickly volunteers, says, "Here I am, send me." Is how that passage goes. Like, why in the world would Isaiah volunteer to go take that message? It's because he's come in contact with the Holy One of the Universe. And he sees God as he is. And his fear of anything else is so incredibly diminished because he's come in contact with the one that he's right to be feared. And if that's the one who was sending him out to deliver this message, then yeah, here I am because I need not fear anything else if I am being sent by you. It's an interesting thing. So anyways, it's the same deal. Like the, the, the disciples are getting in contact with the holiness of God demonstrated in that Jesus is so other walking out through the water to them. And then, not only by what Jesus does here, does he reveal his holiness to his followers, but he also by what he says. So they're scared, they're screaming, they're terrified. And what does Jesus say to them? In verse 20, he says, But I said to them, or but he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's lost in translation, because in the English, the way that they translated this is it's, Jesus says, it is I, and that sounds better to our ears. But literally what Jesus says is, don't be afraid, I am. Which doesn't mean that he's afraid, so they don't have to be afraid. (laughs) He's saying, I am, because he's taking on the name of God. So if, if you, under, if you uh, are familiar with the Old Testament, that, that name of God uh, ring, you know, means something to you. It's the name that God himself gives to Moses in the burning bush in the story in Exodus, right? And Moses comes across this bush that's on fire, but it is not burning up. And he uh, approaches it, and God begins talking to him from the burning bush. He tells him to remove his sandals. He's standing on holy ground. And he begins having this conversation with God. And in that conversation, God reveals to him what his name is, the name for God. And the, the name that God says is, I am. I am. Yahweh, meaning I am. Now, what is, 
What does that mean? What does it mean to be I am? What God is saying is I am unlike anything else. I'm holy. I'm completely set apart. See, I am never, I'm never I was, and I never am I will be. No, I am. I am as I am for all time because I am perfect. I need not change, and I will not change. I am, and I am in that I'm completely self-sufficient. I need nothing. I need no one. I'm not dependent on anybody. I am. That he's completely different than us. He's the holy God of the universe, not like us. And Jesus is saying by what he's doing, communicating by what he's doing and by what he says to these guys, hey, the reason you don't need to be afraid is because I am the holy God of the universe. And he's trying to help them grasp that more fully. He's trying to help us grasp that more fully by recording this for us. In addition, the other reason why Jesus can say that don't be afraid is, is a part of being holy, being completely different from us, is that he's all-powerful. He's almighty. And I don't think that uh, I need to spend a lot of time to develop that. You see kind of that displayed here in this passage. But let me just point out a couple of things real, real, real quickly for you. The first is that uh, he is walking on water. That's powerful. The waves, the stuff that, that was keeping the disciples from being able to cross over uh, the sea had, had no effect on him. That Jesus is not a striving as he's walking across the water. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the thing that might cause them fear that causes him uh, no fear. The thing that's break, causing them to break a sweat or to stress out is not causing him to break a sweat or stress out. He is all-powerful. This not bothering him. But even more than just that, his power is also displayed in the fact that he has set this whole thing up to teach these guys. That he's not just Lord in the storm, but he's Lord of the storm. That he's in control of all of it. That that's who they're coming in contact with. I think about what Psalm chapter 29 tells us about God. In that uh, passage, it says this, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor, in the splendor of his holiness. Then it goes on to talk about the power of God. It says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. And Jesus is saying to his followers of that day, hey, that's me. That's who I am. That's who I am. I'm the all-powerful, almighty God. I am. Therefore, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So how do they respond? How should we respond to that, to who Jesus is? We are to respond by not fearing. But what, like... (laughs) Okay, still like, okay, what does that really look like? Well, notice how they respond, like real specifically. The first thing they do in verse 21 is this. It says, then they were glad to take him into the boat. So the first thing they do is they invite him into the boat, which is another way, you know, put put another way, they, they, uh, they allow God to draw near to him. They draw near to God. They invite him into the boat. Now, we might hear this and think of, well, of course they did. <laughs> you know, it's Jesus. Of course they're going to invite him into the boat. And yet, like, again, put yourself in their shoes and think about this for a second. 
God's just displayed his incredible power and holiness. Now, Jesus is displaying his incredible power and holiness to them in a way that has terrified them. I mean, they're screaming out like little children, right? <laughs> they're like, what's going on? And, and yet, as soon as Jesus says, you know, do not be afraid, it's I, they gladly welcome him into the boat. That's interesting, isn't it? Like just a second ago, they were terrified. What would give them the confidence to invite him to come into the boat? What would give them the confidence to draw near to God, to draw near to Jesus in all his holiness and all of his power? Because here's the, here's the truth, and I think we can resonate with this. I think y'all would, y'all would agree with what I'm about to say. And that is that God's holiness and his power both attract us to God and scare us about God. See, like God's holiness and his power, there's something about it that causes us to want to like, you know, be drawn to him because he's unlike any other. He really is like he's, and there's something about the way that God has designed us that we were created to be with God, to walk with God in the garden. That's what God always intended for us to have an intimate relationship with him. And so as a result, there's a part of our soul that longs for God that is drawn to God like a moth to a flame, like a bee to a flower, like a, like a beach fish to water, like a hungry stomach to good food. There's something in us that longs for God. And yet at the same time, when we recognize who he is in all his holiness and all his power, there's something in us that also is repelled by him. And we're repelled by him. The thing that repels us is because God is completely holy. And in light of being in his presence, we recognize how incredibly sinful we are. That God in his wisdom and his creativity and his power, he made us as independent beings that have the opportunity to choose to live for him and to love him or to live for ourselves and reject him. And the sad truth of humanity is that we have turned our backs on God and we have chosen to live for ourselves and not love him. And yet when we come in contact with him, there's something that's like, it's like waking up from a, from a night, nightmare. It's, like ter- it's terrifying and it's great at the same time. It's like this part of it where you say, okay, I see how weak and how dependent and how sinful I am in, his, in, in light of his holiness. And I'm drawn to him, and yet I know at the same time I have no right to ever be around him. Given that, then again, ask the question, why in the world would the disciples so respond by gladly inviting Jesus into the boat with him. And here's what they know, and here's what we need to know, is that having spent a significant amount of time with Jesus already, his disciples understood that it was Jesus that was walking out to them, and it was he that was pursuing them. And that he was not coming, walking out to them to pursue them, to crush them. But to save them. So they knew that he is the Holy One. Or they're seeing to a greater extent at this point that he's the Holy One. The all-powerful, almighty God. And yet at the same time they also knew that he was the one who had come. The God who had come to stoop down low to be with mankind. 
who, would, who had humbled himself to be made in human likeness, to come as a servant, who would eventually die for us, not any death, not just any death, but death on the cross, so that mankind could be, through faith in him, reunited with the holy God. Jesus had come to take on the sins of the world, so that we, through faith in him, could be made his, like him in his righteousness. This is why God had come, that he was, Jesus was walking out across the water in all his holy, holiness and all of his walk on water power, not to come to crush them, but to save them. And so they invited him into the boat. I read earlier Matthew 10, verse 28, and talked about the command, do not fear. But I want to read what Jesus says after that command. It's just so good. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. What Jesus is saying here, friends, is the reason you don't need to fear. The reason that I could command you not to fear is because the one that you actually should fear. Like, don't just fear the one. If you're going to fear, don't, don't have lesser fears. Don't just fear the one who can kill your body. Fear the one who can kill your, or destroy your body and your soul. Fear that one. But here it is, he says. The one that can do that, he's the one who loves you with a love that you cannot even begin to grasp. See, he's the one who cares even about the sparrow, which to us have no value, Jesus is saying. And you sell two of them for a penny. You don't think that they even matter, but you need to know this about God. They do matter to God and that you matter even more than those do. And so, in fact, I know every single hair on your head. I know you that intimately. And even though I know you that intimately, because we think, man, if someone knows us that intimately, there's no way they could possibly love us. But God is saying, no, even though I know you that intimately, I do love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And so hear this. Why not fear? Because the one that should be feared, the one that is holy, the one that's all powerful, the God of the universe is also the one who loves you with a love that you can't even begin to grasp. So do not fear. Do not fear, Jesus is saying. Just stop it. Just stop it. But not because you're just going to choose to stop it. Stop it because Jesus is saying, as you realize who I am and how much I love you. The, the more you grasp who I am, Jesus is saying, the more you will realize that you don't have to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of even when there's something that we recognize is fear-inducing for us, things that are to be afraid. He says, you don't have to be afraid because I am who I am. You don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. And I appreciate that about Jesus. You notice this, that Jesus isn't walking out to the disciples. They're scared to death, and he's not saying, hey, hey, don't worry, don't worry. Storm's going to pass. Just saw the weather report. You know, just, just a couple minutes, it's going to blow over, nothing to be afraid of. Now, Jesus doesn't minimize our storms. 
Jesus doesn't minimize the things in our lives that cause us fear. What he wants to do is have those storms in our lives to be an opportunity for us to see him as he really is. He doesn't minimize the storm. He works through the storm to maximize our view of him. And as our view of him grows, the more we realize we don't have to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. Think about uh, times in my life where God was using some storms to teach me this. And uh, one of them stood out this week. I was thinking about it was when Krista and I were adopting Enoch, our son. And um, that was a great time in our life, but it was also an incredibly scary time in our life because uh, part of the adoption process, international adoption, it cost about $30,000 to adopt. And we had $10,000 in our bank account. And so we felt really called by God to adopt. And yet at the same time, we were like, okay, this is not quite adding up, right? I don't know how this is going to work out. And so we stepped out in faith to, to do this. And yet every time I checked our bank account and saw our savings dwindling quickly, and then that day that uh, we wrote the check and there was zero money in the bank. I mean, it was like we had no money in savings. We probably had about $600 in our checking account. And I just remember this like pit in my stomach, like, oh, like God, please don't let a car break down or, or you know, a surprise bill or like what is going to happen? And I was terrified. And Krista was terrified. And yet we looked at each other and we said, okay, look, as God called us to do this, and we do, he had. And so we said, okay, we can either respond with fear or we can respond in faith and God is who he says he is and he's got us. And he's got us and him having us might look differently than it just like working out exactly like we thought it would, but we need not fear because God is who he is. And we just kept trying to say that to each other. Hey, we don't have to fear because God is who he is. He's holy. He's all-powerful. He loves us. We don't have to fear. God worked in a miraculous ways during that time to provide for us. And there was never a single time that we uh, had a bill for the adoption come in that we didn't have the money to pay for it through the whole thing. There was never a time where there was another surprise bill that came in and we didn't have the money to pay for it, that God met our needs through his body, the church. It was amazing. He taught us so much during that season about not fearing, but trusting him as I see who he is. Think about another time when God was teaching me this. It was when we were planting Midtown. I remember having a, thinking about, all right, God, it's time. You call us to go plant this church in Central Austin? and start talking to friends and seeing if any of them would be crazy enough to like do this with us, right? And we start having these conversations, and at first I'm just fearful, thinking, man, no one's going to do this with us. I mean, I knew Jason and Beth would, because they, like, they're crazy, and they've been say, telling us that they would do this with us forever. But uh, like, there's not very many people like that. We were thinking, man, who's going to do this with us? And I just remember being afraid, like, this is never going to get off the ground. But then something even more fear-inducing began to happen. People started saying yes, and they started selling their houses and moving into Central Austin. And then I really was laying awake at night. And I'm thinking, God, what if this never gets off the ground? And people sold their houses. And like, like this is like, man, I'm feeling all this fear and pressure. And I remember God during that time just teaching me, Jake, this is not about you. And he, 
If you think you're in control, then of course this is going to cause fear. But I'm building this church. I'm the almighty, all-powerful, holy God. Trust me. Do not fear. It is I. Oh, man. Friends, that we would learn that. That we would see Jesus as he is. That we would invite him into the boat. That we would draw near to him. And then we would do what the disciples also did. And that is that they gave him control. See, how do they respond to this command? They see Jesus as he is. They draw near to him and they give him control. The last part of that verse, it's kind of mysterious, right? But he's like, he comes, he gladly invite him into the boat and then immediately they're at the shore. And I don't know what that looked like. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know at all what that looked like. But I do know that the reason they got to the shore is because Jesus took control. And friends, that's, that's the way we respond. Let us respond that way. We recognize who Jesus is, so we don't have to fear. We draw near to him and we give him the reins. Oftentimes when we're fearful, we're either paralyzed, we're not going to do anything because we're just so afraid, or we try to take control and figure it out on our own. Don't do it. See him for who he is. Draw near. Give him control. How do you give him control? Giving him control is summed up very powerfully in the statement, Jesus, tell me what to do. That's giving him control. Giving him control is not simply just saying, okay, Jesus, it's all up to you now, and I'm just going to sit back and do nothing and see what you do. That's not giving him control. Giving him control is saying, Jesus, okay, tell me what to do. And then doing it. And you can do it because he's the all-powerful, almighty God who also knows every hair on your head, who cares about you intimately so much that Jesus himself, God of the universe, had come to earth to live the life that we were supposed to live, to die the death we deserve to die so that we could be united with God, so that the Holy One of the universe would take on our sins so that we could take on His righteousness and be made holy in Him. This is who is saying, it is I, friends. Let us not fear. Let us draw near. Let us say, tell me what to do. I can trust you. And as you do that, you can walk knowing you need not fear. You can stop it. You can stop it because Jesus is who he is. You do not have to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. Last thing here. I just want to remind y'all that the reason Jesus is teaching his disciples this like I was saying at the beginning of the message, is because he's trying to prepare them to be sent out on his mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to make disciples of all nations. And so he knows, I'm going to have to teach them to not be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of, but to have a big view of who I am and how much I love them if they're going to go and do what I'm sending them to go do. And friends, we've been sent on that mission The commission is the same for all believers. Go make disciples of all nations. Be his witness to the ends of the earth. One of the things that ought to characterize all believers, given who God is and what we know about him, how much he loves us, is that we should be characterized by an incredible boldness and courage and fearlessness. And yet that, we know, is not a strong mark, a distinguishing characteristic of 
us, we're the church. But God, God wants that and is enough for that to be true. And when it comes to the issue, when it comes to the commissioning of making disciples, the number one excuse that we all have, me included, when it comes to telling people about Jesus and pointing them to Jesus and telling them the good news of what Jesus has done for them and how much Jesus loves them, the number one excuse that we have most often is, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I don't know what to say. I'm afraid what they might think about me. I'm afraid they might reject me. I'm afraid. Let's look to Jesus. He's the Holy One, all-powerful, almighty, Lord of the storm. We need not fear because he is who he is. Those things are fear-inducing. I get it. I'm there. Jesus isn't saying that's not anything to be afraid of. He's saying because he is who he is. We need not be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. John Newton said it this way in his hymn, Begone Unbelief. His love in times past forbids me to think. He will leave me at last in troubles to sink. By prayer let me wrestle, and then he will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. Or as the modern-day poets Mumford and Son say, and their song, After the Storm. And there will come a time, you'll see, with no more tears. And love will not break your heart, but dismiss your fears. Friends, Jesus is that love. Because of how he's loved us, he's bringing us that time where there are no more tears. Until then, he is enough. His love is enough. His power is enough to dismiss our fears. Let me pray. Father, Teach us this. Jesus, teach us this. God, give us an exalted view of who you are. God, it's so easy when we look at the things that we're afraid of and to see them as big and glaring and right in front of us and too big to overcome. But God, that's not true. You are so much bigger. You're so much better. You're so much other than anything that we face. God, may you in our storms use them to maximize our view of you that we would see you as you are and that we would know your love displayed so clearly in the gospel. And God, we would move out with boldness and with courage and with fearlessness that we would not be afraid. And God, that that would also apply to your commissioning of us to tell people, tell the people you love that matter much to you, more than many sparrows that they matter to you, God, and that you died and that you rose again, that their sins would be forgiven. God, make us bold witnesses for you, for your glory, God, in light of who you are. We love you. Thank you for loving us, our holy, almighty God. Amen.